The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, when it comes to weight loss, many can find it difficult to speak about their journey without feeling a, a sense of shame or maybe maybe embarrassment. Others looking in, trying to support those around them who have weight problems, may take it too far in what they say and cause more damage and hurt to the individual who's carrying so much weight. So when it comes to body attitudes and helping to curb our nation's growing problem with obesity, what is the best approach to take? Well, joining me now to talk about all of this is Dr Mick Crotty, a GP specialising in obesity. He's on the line. And with me in studio, Professor Donald O'Shea, who's the HSE clinical lead on obesity. A good morning and welcome uh, to you both. Um, we'll go to you, Mick, first uh, on the line. Um, as a GP specialising in obesity, how do you tell people that they are, you know, dangerously overweight or, if not morbidly obese, obese to the point of worry? I think certainly it's it's a very emotive topic. It's a very difficult topic. I think people who are living with obesity um, have experienced their their whole life of being blamed and shamed and stigmatized. They've been told that they've got a lack of willpower, lack of motivation, and it's their fault. Uh, so actually, I think when we talk about the science and the evidence around weight and, and why uh, weight is much more complicated, you know, how there's genetic factors, how there's neurological factors in our subconscious brain, the hormones that regulate weight, and then the impact that our environment, the modern food environment and the types of food that are available and work and stress, how all of these different things influence weight and, and why it isn't their fault, uh, that it's actually much more complicated, that it's not a lack of willpower, that it can be a, a medical issue if excess weight is affecting their, their health. Mm. I think when we have that conversation without blame and shame, actually people are very receptive. But I think it has to be brought up uh, at an appropriate time in the right way. Uh, I think certainly in GP, it can be challenging because you know people are often coming in with other medical issues they may not be coming in to talk about their weight so I think first of all as the GP it's very important that I address the concerns that they come with and and you know uh, look at all the potential causes and not kind of take the lazy approach of just blaming everything on weight if you lose weight that would get better and I think when we talk to people about kind of the different factors that can that can affect their health you know I think bringing up weight is very appropriate and I don't think it needs mm-hmm. to be a negative conversation for me it's you know one of the approaches that I find most helpful is is to ask people's permission you know would you mind if we talk about your weight and that per- puts the person at the center it allows us to talk about weight if they're open to the conversation but again it's not backing them into a conversation and it gives me an opportunity then to share some of that kind of interesting kind of evidence about you know how this isn't their fault and how there are treatments available if they want to explore yeah. them. Um, now, but I think blame, uh, blaming some, well. sometimes though it is their fault. I mean, if someone comes in and they confess to you that they're a six pint a night man, and that's clearly an awful lot of calories. And no matter how uh, how much uh, your genetics suggests you should be skinny, if you're plowing through six pints a night, you're going to put on weight. End of. Yeah, see, I, I disagree with you there, Pat. Do you do you feel there are people out there who drink six pints a night who don't have an issue with their weight? There are. So so again, it's not you know the the old fashioned oversimplistic view that we're doing this to ourselves uh, is is wrong. Certainly, our life uh, and lots of things in our life can influence weight. But again, if we look at kind of you know uh, the the factors that influence weight, there are many. Uh, so again, if I'm let's say I'm on a certain medication, let's say I've got a mental health challenge, let's say kind of alcohol could be a factor for many people. But again, you know, getting to the 
that's where kind of talking about these things and talking about different things in our life, in our environment, uh, hormones, and lots of different things that can influence weight uh, are beneficial. Mm -hmm. But again, it's oversimplistic to think that there's one factor that's causing the problem. And that that may be so, but I'm just wondering if you kind of keep on medicalizing maybe lifestyle too much. Uh, For example, we're always telling people who have type 2 diabetes that if they curb their diet, if they reduce certain things, get their weight down, they actually can give up the medication for type 2 diabetes. Do you know? Mm. So, so, so lifestyle can, you know, have a very positive health uh, benefit. Oh, absolutely. But again, you're, you were also confusing their life and health behaviours with weight, which are, which are separate things. Certainly our life and things in our life, uh, you know, our eating patterns, our food choices, our physical activity, our stress, our sleep, all those things have a significant impact on our health. Uh, but again, kind of it's oversimplistic to say that your, your poor lifestyle is causing your weight issues because it's simply more complicated. Most people that I meet in clinic, uh, you know, are very aware of their weight issues. Most people I meet in clinic have done every diet. They have done the most misery-inducing, restrictive, uh, offensive things to lose weight and have lost weight. And yet, because of their biology, that weight comes back over time. And again, it's that misunderstanding uh, about why kind of, you know, weight is, is we feel it should be under conscious control. But there's many other factors going on. There are a percentage of people, but probably 10, 20% of people who long-term can lose weight and keep it off with diet and exercise. But there are many other people who have repeatedly lost weight and regained weight only for their weight to go to a higher level because of how weight is regulated in our brain. So I think it's it's sharing understanding of people. You know, when you talk, when I talk to people, they understand the biology immediately because they have the lived experience. They've beaten themselves up. They've blamed themselves. They've shamed themselves overweight uh, and the negative impact that that has on their psychological health and well-being, as well as the potential impact on their mm. physical health and metabolic health. But again, that blame and shame does nothing. If anything, you know, people don't go to the doctor, they don't go for screening, they they kind of see multiple different doctors, they they find it harder to follow good health behaviours when they are blamed and shamed. Okay. We should be supporting people. Donald, um, you know, there are two ends of the scale. There are the adults who end up with these problems. But I know you and I have spoken many times about young people, about children and the obesity in children. And there, I think, it's no secret to say that it, they just eat too much and have too little activity. Because a generation or two ago, most kids were just skinny. Yeah, now I'm a little disappointed with the tone because we have been talking about this for the last 20 years, yeah. you and I. And, and uh, our understanding has moved on. The science has moved on. So that energy in, energy out uh, equation is oversimplistic uh, for people who have obesity. For the prevention piece, it is absolutely essential that we have an, an, an environment that's conducive to physical activity and that we have a food environment that does not promote unashamedly uh, high fat, high salt, high sugar, highly addictive foods to young kids through TikTok, Snapchat, etc. Yeah. Uh, and we minutes. know that the habits of childhood continue into yeah. adulthood. So I, I run a centre for obesity management. Uh, I don't have... Uh, Michael Crotty's uh, challenge of raising the issue because everyone who comes to us is coming for management of their obesity. So we don't have to say, can we discuss it? Our biggest problem is to try and pick those individuals off the floor in terms of self-esteem. The degree of self-loathing, a throwaway comment at a first communion, no child should have legs like that. Uh, A 50-year-old lady was, was reporting that to me as if it had just been delivered 
that minute 44 years later. And that's the problem that kids living with obesity have. They are the butt of the joke. Uh, they are kids. And kids are, are unkind. Oh, they're vicious. Uh, but, you know, that, that's their how default. Do you, how do you stop that? I mean, you're talking about the complexity of obesity. Is it as complex as that in, in children, you know, that there are psychological factors Hormonal factors, or is it absolutely? Yeah, so all you know, of those uh, things. So we know that the formula feed companies are targeting the lower socioeconomic areas for their formula feed um, baby clubs. Uh, they're not allowed to advertise, but they're effectively providing. Uh, product and advice. And we know that if you're on formula feed early, uh, your weight track uh, through life is going to be towards overweight and obesity. We we then have TikTok and uh, Snapchat promoting all the wrong types of foods. Uh, every three to four minutes, uh, a child will see a tailored ad for something uh, that is personal to their recent search history, etc., and therefore likely to tickle their fancy. We have to be aware of that environment. We have to do everything we can uh, to change that environment. But that's the prevention piece. And, And I do like the malignant melanoma example because lots of people go out in the sun. Some put olive oil on to tan quickly and don't get melanoma. Other people go out and get a little bit of sun and get melanoma. You are not told your treatment is sunscreen and a hat. Yeah. Sunscreen and a hat is important while you're being treated. So lifestyle is always important while you are being treated for the disease of obesity. We have people attending our clinic who eat 11, 1200 kilocalories a day and are not shifting weight. Equally, I know lots of people who eat two and a half, three thousand kilocalories a day and don't have obesity. The calories that you consume in a pint of beer are handled differently than the calories that you consume uh, if you have a couple of glasses of wine. Uh, And we we know that now. So there's a different shape. We know about the beer belly. Yeah. We don't know about a wine belly. Uh, And and because it isn't a thing to the same degree. Mm -hmm. Now, there's lots of factors contribute to that. And if you look at the French, the, the fags, actually, a lot of them are inveterate smokers. So they and may drink a lot of wine, but they also smoke a lot. And, and we're beginning to understand how smoking regulates energy burn. And when you stop smoking, uh, why you will have that tendency to weight gain, even if you watch what you're eating, just because that homeostasis is, is altered when you stop smoking and you drop your energy burn. So, um, you know, going back to you, Mick, the the business of raising the issue with a patient who comes in who uh, clearly is obese, even, I mean, do you use the word obese or do you, what way do you broach the topic? Because it is about general health. You know, obesity does lead to health complications later in life. That's uh, probably undeniable. I think for, for many people, weight can contribute to health issues. But again, like I said, they're, they're kind of, um, some people are living in a bigger body, but they don't have all the health issues. But I think when we're bringing it up, I think the language we use is vital that we're not using uh, derogatory, stigmatizing language. We're not uh, using very nasty kind of words with people. We talk about people living with obesity. It doesn't define them. Uh, it's not the only thing that's important about them. It's a medical condition like they live with diabetes or they live with hypertension. Uh, we don't talk about somebody being morbid 
morbidly obese because, again, we don't talk about morbid depression or morbid hypertension. So it's severe obesity. Uh, we don't talk about success or failure with treatment. We talk about response because we treat people and they, they respond. Uh, oftentimes, it's not within their conscious control if we're treating somebody biologically. I think, you know, for me, it's sharing an understanding with people of why kind of society's views on weight, this oversimplistic kind of view of the calories in, calories out, like Professor O'Shea was talking about, and, and the idea that this is our fault is, is to kind of reduce that. And actually, that can be a huge burden, you know, removed from people when they say, you know, uh, they have been making huge efforts. You know, these are people who are successful academically, professionally, they're successful in their relationships, and yet they feel weight is not something they can control because it's biological. So sharing an understanding of the complexity of weight, the different treatments options that are available, whether that is a surgical treatment, a medication treatment, or a life treatment, whether it's nutrition therapy, psychology, physical activity, whether it's improving health behaviours. You know, there, there are many different treatments available, we, but we should be mm. supporting people and we should be talking about them in an evidence-based yeah. way. Now, a number of people are a bit sceptical about uh, just dismissing the calories in, calorie out uh, uh, idea because uh, many people are familiar, Donald, with the COVID stone. You know, when they yeah. were sitting at home, access to the biscuits and the whatever, um, you know, having access to the fridge, maybe making a bigger lunch than the one you would have bought from the corner shop uh, for your lunch in the office, that, that kind of thing. So yeah. certainly, you know, overeating does put on weight. There, there is no doubt that weight gain occurs because of an imbalance between the energy in and the energy out. And that shifts, you know, they talk about the ministerial stone for someone who goes into cabinet. Yeah. Uh, they put on a stone, uh, the COVID stone, the same thing. And also uh, at home, you're not moving about as much as you might have, you know, walking from the train to the office or whatever twice a day. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, so uh, th those uh, changes in life. So when you buy a car, you need to watch out. So we know, for example, that the decade that people put on most of their weight in their lives is between the age of 25 and 35. That is the highest uh, period of weight gain. And that's due to uh, possibly uh, getting married, possibly having a kid, possibly uh, getting a car, possibly stopping your active sport because you're kind of yeah, retired. Busy with the out. kids and all that. Yeah, and so life, and so being aware of that uh, when you're 25 is an important thing. You know, so we're accumulating the evidence that will help us, uh, you know, target times for people to look at their uh, energy in and energy out because it is much better to prevent the weight from going on in the first place. Not shifting it because we know how difficult it is to shift it. And that's why I use that malignant melanoma example. Sunscreen and a hat is not treatment for cancer. Eat less, move more is not treatment for obesity. It's a part of the overall package, but the treatment is separate. Now, when people are feeling bad about themselves because of uh, their weight, um, and some people don't, by the way, some people don't feel anyone's looking at them any differently. They they go through life, you know, in yeah. a good frame of mind without feeling self-conscious. But then there are others. And uh, I'm just going to play a, a little clip uh, here of uh, Professor Bina Candola uh, from the company Pern Candola talking about the link between discrimination in, say, the office setting and physical stereotypes. They're seen as being lazy, they lack discipline, they lack self-control. That then leads on to people who are living with obesity are less likely to be promoted, they're more likely to be disciplined, 
And as a consequence, they are more likely to be paid less. Donald, is that that is it, isn't it? That, I mean, that, that unfortunately is remains the reality. There are some people who do not, uh, you know, have low self-esteem with their obesity. Uh, many do. And as I said, the, the biggest change I've seen in, in our service managing obesity is the introduction of compassion focused therapy where individuals are, are trained to understand that it is biology. Uh, they need to stop blaming themselves uh, because once you have the disease of obesity, uh, you know, the ability to change that with just lifestyle uh, we know is is yeah. What was the figure you gave me? Ninety percent of people have no chance of losing more, uh, five, more than ten percent. Yeah, five to ten percent. So I mean, we we set goals for people attending our service with lifestyle uh, change, and increasingly our goals are moving away from weight for exactly this reason, and we're looking at uh, gait, speed, personal hygiene, ability to you know uh, self care and and be completely independent because that's what most people want and with severe and complex mm -hmm. obesity that becomes a challenge for people. Do we have um, difficulties with definitions? You know, um, you get this body mass index and uh, people go to the doctor and the doctor does the measurements and says, you yeah. know, you're verging on obese and to the casual eye, they're fine. Thank you very much. And as people get older, I, I've been told by uh, Professor Gibney, he said, you know, older people need to carry a little bit of weight because if they get sick, they've got to have something to live on during a sick period. Yeah, so people need, uh, we all need energy stores. Uh, people need to build up their physical resilience uh, to yeah. deal with insults. And, and that's more uh, about uh, being physically active because you, you can be healthy as uh, Michael Crotty has said, at any weight, not everybody who has obesity has complicated obesity. Um, what are the therapies then? I mean, you're talking about there are um, psychological things, emotional things, there are hormonal things, um, there are lifestyle things, there's surgery, and there are the, the latest drug therapies which people who don't need them at all are using for slimming purposes. Yeah, and, and that's kind of uh, causing a huge amount of disquiet within the field of obesity because and people who are managing obesity, because we, we finally have the beginnings of very good treatments uh, for obesity. And it's uh, being hijacked a little bit by the aesthetic business because of this cultural desire for thinness. So we have an environment that's driving obesity and we have this ingrained cultural desire for thinness. And, and you put those two up against each other and you have this battle. But the the excitement within the field of obesity for the treatment options we are going to have over the next decade uh, is in, intense. And we're only at the beginning of that journey now. Uh, some of the comments coming in, please ask them why there are fewer overweight children in wealthier areas of Dublin compared to poorer areas of Dublin. Diet, education, parental influence, not being insensitive, but asking, is is that a fact? Oh, it's absolutely a well-established fact and it begins kind of as I alluded to with uh, the promotion of formula feed from the very beginning by, by uh, companies to get children off the breast and education level and, and obesity, degree of obesity are well correlated. How about us people who don't have a feel full switch, never ever having the feeling of being permanently hungry is horrible. Uh, it's amazing. Some people wake up after their surgery and they're describing for their obesity and they're describing for the very first time 
with some difficulty this sense of I, I can't quite describe it, but I feel like I've actually had enough. Does that make sense? <laughs> they are describing satiety as grown adults for the very first time. And the newer treatments that we're having are, uh, if you like, restoring that uh, sense of satiety mm -hmm. and fullness. A another one has an intriguing idea, uh, something that has gone unnoticed in the whole obesity debate is the impact that central heating and insulation has in our houses. The rise in obesity started in the early 70s, which coincided with most people getting central heating and insulation. In other words, you don't wear the sweater anymore. You go around your shirt sleeves and your body's not using energy to heat itself up. Yeah, you know, I've, I've uh, always thought that um, an engineer is going to come in and solve this problem, someone like yourself, Pat, <laughs> because they will look at it in a different way. But at the end of the day, Australia have higher obesity childhood rates than Ireland. So it's not really a temperature thing. It's not a temperature thing. Because I often wondered, are you better off if you're trying to sweat off weight like a jockey might, whether you put on the anorak and you sweat or whether you strip down to nothing and go out in the cold and do the same exercise. So the understanding of the science of weight would say you're much better to go out naked into the cold. Uh, but that is not a recommended treatment, but it, it will in, increase your brown adipose yeah. tissue burn and you will upregulate thermogenesis. Mm. Sweating it off is dehydrating yourself and is not a good idea. Not a good idea. Um, Professor Don Loche, who is the HSE clinical lead on obesity and Dr Mick Crotty, a GP specialising in obesity. Thank you very much.